Welcome to the Disney Afternoon Buoy Recommendation and Discussion Podcast, where we talk about our favorite Disney animated series from the 80s and 90s, and hope to take you on a memorable trip down Afternoon Avenue to discuss some classics that you definitely didn't miss. I'm your host, First Mate Sidekick, and with me, as always, is Captain Spike. Gorsh! <laughs> well, today is April 1st, 2017, and despite that gorsh, this is not Goof Troop, but it is Disney Afternoon Buoy Podcast Episode 2, Chippendale Rescue Rangers. Once again, welcome, lovely and beautiful listeners, to another episode of the Disney Afternoon Afternoon Buoy Fan Recommendation Podcast. Disney Afternoon Buoy Fan Recommendation Podcast. This week we're talking about Chippendale Rescue Rangers. Yes. So let's buckle in and get this party started. So the quick synopsis of Chippendale Rescue Rangers is, you know, Chippendale, um, go back to... Chippendale. Well, you know, Chippendale, the chipmunks, go way, way back to the classic Disney days where they were often a foil for Donald Duck and, you know, causing mischief for him. But this reimagined Chippendale as the heads of a detective agency, the Rescue Rangers that they started with their friends Gadget and Monterey Jack, who are two mice, and Zipper, who is a fly. And so their kind of twist was that they helped deal with crimes that were too small for the police and usually had to do with other animals. And this frequently meant they were mixed up with Fat Cat and his kind of uh, crew of gangsters. But there was also a crazy scientist, Norton Nimnal, who uh, was very, very odd and, you know, had a strong hatred for them. And so, you know, that was kind of the premise. You know, definitely uh, detective shows, cops shows were very popular in the late 80s and you know there's definitely some influences of that that we'll talk about in a minute uh so this was you know of course done by you know disney's television unit you know they're familiar you're familiar with things like ducktales gummy bears later darkwing duck you know a lot of classics done by this studio that you know really you just have to remember it grew from a speed started by one man you know and his brother back just in a long time ago so you know really how that has grown to have some of these great animated series and uh, fittingly, um, the, most of the direction was done by two gentlemen, Alan Zaslov, who was also worked on Gummy Bears, DuckTales, Darkwing Duck, the Aladdin series. But, uh, you know, the real creative um, head of Chippendale and a lot of these Disney afternoon shows was, of course, Tad Stones. You know, he is pretty much a legend. Uh, he, in addition to things like Darkwing Duck, Chippendales, Gummy Rangers, the Hercules series, the Aladdin series. Did I say Aladdin already? Uh, he was also the producer on Return of Jafar and the um, King of Thieves, which were the two direct-to-video sequels, which, you know, Disney direct-to-video kind of gets a bad rap, but those two Jafar, um, sorry, the, the two Aladdin movies were pretty solid entries. Did you just call Return of Jafar a solid entry? You don't think Return of Jafar is a decent sequel? I mean, as direct-to-video sequels That's go, yes. That's my point. That's I my guess. point. Okay, I guess. I mean, have you seen some of the other ones? I have. Yeah, so let me just say, you know, I, this was before kind of the meme of, oh, 
LOL director videos and I think arguably not to get sidetracked what sort of started the meme well the kind of the success of the Aladdin um, sequels is what kind of started it yeah so you know uh, Ted Stones was really instrumental in you know this um, in this concept which we'll talk about in a few minutes but uh, the directors you know I have to say a lot of times in western animation directors aren't quite as notable names Um, so the two most prominent directors were John Kimball who aside from uh, Chippendale Rescue Rangers did a lot of things with the Smurfs and Pound Puppies so some of the things you might remember from your very young childhood did um, some of the Alvin and the Chipmunks series in the 80s which were really great and then Bob Zamboni you know also the late great Bob Zamboni uh, may he rest in peace can you believe it's been 15 years since his passing this June I hardly can in fact (laughs) you know um, he was involved with more of the uh, other Disney afternoon shows so like Tailspin Bonkers you know Bonkers is an often forgotten one the Timon and Pumbaa one the Jungle Cubs which was Jungle Book's uh, baby version uh, also did a couple timing directing work on four episodes of Kim Possible were some of his last works so you know I'm glad that he got to uh, you know be involved because Kim Possible while not a Disney afternoon show is uh, fantastic and the music was done by Mark Mueller Um, you know Mark Mueller is such a great songwriter Uh, you obviously probably know him from the DuckTales theme as well but he also did the for Life Goes On he did music work too so you know uh, definitely a name that is uh, very very much associated with Disney Afternoon and I usually don't do this but I really feel it's important with this show to mention some of the voice talent because you know there's some legends here that you know you you will recognize them if you're at all familiar with Western animation so or even just like in some cases just Western actors right Um, so Chip and Gadget were both voiced by Tress McNeil Um, and you know she is someone who's done so 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 many voices she has a lot of voices on the Simpsons including uh, her, my favorite one of hers is probably um, Mrs. Skinner Principal Skinner's mom which is just so like you know such a character that you love to hate um, you know she's done voices in Futurama um, she was Dot from the Animaniacs which yes. is a you know, very iconic role um, Babs Bunny she was in B-Movie she was in B-Movie oh yeah. wow that's, that's a really that's an all-star cast but uh, yeah, she did so, voices for uh, the Kingdom Hearts video games and she was the voice of Lucy in the Weird Al song Ricky which was the parody of oh Mickey you're so fine so I mean Tress is just you know she is iconic um, and you know pretty much if you grew up in the 80s or 90s you've probably heard Tress's voice in so many things even like as background character stuff Dale so this is what the interesting thing is that Chip and Dale used to just be done by one actor and then like they would speed it up and they still sped up the voices in this case but Dale was done by Corey Burton who also did Zipper which was the fly and so um, you know he's been a name that's been associated with Disney you know for quite a while back and keeps going on to this day and you know he maybe maybe quite not as recognizable in the uh, in the same ways because he took over a lot of characters that other voice actors had passed on like he does Ludwig von Drake's voice these days he was Gruffy Gummy in the Gummy Bears uh, so like some of them you might not recognize just because he's so good at um, matching what other uh, legendary like you know legend true legends of Disney voice acting have done um, and again and just background voices in different things video game work um, and Kingdom Hearts yeah I mean uh, really just he continues to be involved not just with Disney but you know great relationship with Disney uh, since then uh, Monterey Jack's voice acting background is kind of interesting because for the first I would say third of the series and I, I can't find a definitive episode listing of like where the cutoff happened uh, Peter Cullen was the voice of Monterey Jack and you know 
this is a another legend. Optimus who, Prime, come through. Yeah, I mean, he's Optimus Prime, but he's also actually continued to work with Disney since then. He's uh, And he's actually still the voice of Optimus Prime, I believe, right? To this uh, yeah, that's correct. Uh, but he's been the modern voice of Eeyore, at least um, last decade. I don't know if uh, to this day that's still the case. I know he was still doing Eeyore work, yeah, into like 2010. I'm not so he, sure like, after that. Hearts and such. Although, I mean, have there been new games since then? <laughs> Good point. So, um, from what I can tell, since he continued his relationship with Disney after that, um, you know, I, I I can't find, I've tried to research about what happened and why the changeover happened. I think it was probably just a commitment to, you know, other roles that had caused him to, you know, not be available. But, fortunately, um, Jim Cummings was able to take over as Monterey Jack, and he also did Fat Cat and Professor Nimnall. And, you know, Jim Cummings, like, uh, I have to be honest, when I was this age, I wanted to be a voice actor, and it was pretty much largely because of Jim Cummings. Like, uh, I just, I always really admired the range of uh, voices he could do, and I mean, uh, for, for me, a really big one that he did was uh, Dr. Robotnik in the Sonic the Hedgehog series, but, I mean, he also has uh, taken over the voice of Winnie the Pooh, which, you know, is his, his Winnie the Pooh voice is amazing. You know, totally spot on. Uh, he was the voice of Ed the Hyena from The Lion King, and so, you know, that's really uh, amazing that he, he, I mean, he was in the um, theatrical release. So, I mean, for a lot of these TV actors, a lot of times, you know, they don't really make it into, you know, the theatrical releases because they usually go for big Hollywood aims. But, I mean, Jim is just so iconic that, uh, you know, how could you not go with him? And so, you know. Well, and, you know, he's, he even still does a lot of very, very varied voice work doing things for such productions as, like, uh, the Minions movie. Uh, He did voices for Adventure Time in earlier seasons. He's done work for uh, World of Warcraft, even. Oh, absolutely. Obviously, he still does work for, you know, the Kingdom Hearts games. Um, Obviously, you know, doing work um, as multiple characters on The Legend of Korra a few years back. So he's Mm -hmm. he's still very active. Did voices for uh, Final Fantasy XIII. Uh, So just an an amazing career he's had. And is, uh, you know, as you are so (laughs) inclined to say, he's a legend. Yeah, and I mean, like I said, he is, um, he's also the voice of Pete uh, these days in Disney, too. So Pete and, um, I mean, I guess that was true even back in the 90s, like Goof Troop and Goofy movie. He was also Pete, you know, so, uh, you know, uh, if, if you, I'm going to say, have you watched anything where there has been voice acting? If so, then you've probably heard Jim Cummings. <laughs> right. So I want to, I want to keep this moving because, you know. I, I hadn't like, realized that back on the uh, Superhero Squad show, the Marvel, like, kids cartoon from 2000, uh, or I'm sorry, 2010, 2011, he was the voice of Thanos in those movies, or those shows. Wow. And the, the thing is that Jim is, I mean, I talk like I know Are him Are you going to call him super versatile? I wasn't going to say that. Um, I, I was saying Jim, like I know him on a first name basis. I wish because like I know he's I, I wanted to I wanted to be him when I was a kid like that's how much of a geek I am um, but th- that being said like you know Jim Cummings is, is so versatile as a voice actor that like you might be surprised at like you're like oh wow that was him that was him but you know he definitely kind of has if you think of like that Dr. Robotnik voice from the 90s or you know kind of Pete's kind of gruff growl you know he definitely has kind of kind of a definite characteristic but then again he could be Winnie the Pooh as well and like just such a talent alright uh, anything else you'd like to say or shall we move on to production history I say we move on. Well, the original run of Disney Channel, I'm sorry, the original run was on the Disney Channel, and so, you know, a lot of people might remember it in syndication, but I definitely remember watching it on Disney Channel. It ran from March 4th, 1989 to November 19th, 1990, and you know, uh, the Rescue Rangers, as with many of these Disney shows, uh, ran for 65 episodes, but, um, you know, each season, like, it wasn't like three years, so it was really over just the course of uh, two years that these three seasons ran, and it really was, um, came about because of the success of DuckTales, and so um, after investing $20 million in DuckTales, 
sales. They, Disney invested $28 million in Rescue Rangers, and um, it was c- conceived along with Tailspin and Darkwing Duck, which has a very interesting development history that we'll get to uh, in another episode, to form the Disney Afternoon um, along with the Gummy Bears. So Disney Afternoon really kind of came about with the advent of Chippendale Rescue Rangers. And the interesting thing is that when Tad Stones was originally pitching the Rescue Rangers idea, it was based on the Rescuers, which, you know, was the mice and, you know, who would later get the Rescuers Down Under movie. I think it was a good change because... Uh, Agreed. I, I don't think those characters would have been as compelling to watch as Chippendale were. But before it became Chippendale, he pitched it as Metro Mice, which had a mouse named Kit Colby who had a fedora and, like, a um, kind of Indiana Jones style. And there was a chameleon and then kind of prototypes of Gadget and Monterey Jack. But then when he was pitching it um, with... Um, so when he was doing, like, an, you know, a revised pitch meeting with Michael Eisner and Jeffrey Katzenberg, uh, they liked the idea, but they were saying uh, Michael Eisner, you know, who was very a very controversial figure, figure in Disney's history, but he did have the good idea every once in a while, and he said, you know, why not put Chip and Dale there so that the, the show has some established Disney characters, you know, to kind of draw in with the fan base. And so um, at that point, in 1987, it already was solidified as Chip and Dale and the Rescue Rangers. Um, and so, you know, Chip and Dale kind of didn't have a lot of personality traits, except that they kind of would bicker a lot and kind of get into trouble. So that's where kind of, they're really, their personalities kind of were fleshed out. Chip kind of took that concept of Kit being kind of like, you know, the Indiana Jones look, and then Dale was more of a Joker, and uh, he was really heavily modeled after Magnum P.I. Like, I mean, he's down to the Hawaiian shirt, and so, you know, for those who are visiting Rescue Rangers, you know, these days who maybe are a little younger and don't don't get that Magnum P.I. reference, that's where that came from. But, I mean, for those of us who were 80s kids, you know, it was, it was you know, very, very clear there. Yeah, I think we all got it then, and I'm not proud of us then. Yeah. And so it ended up premiering on the Disney Channel and then uh, going into syndication and was in syndication until 1993. And then, uh, you know, it's been occasionally rerun on Disney Channel, Disney XD, those sorts of things. So, uh, you know, continue to uh, occasionally come back. And the opening music was actually a full version of it was recorded by the pop group The Jets from Minnesota. You know, The Jets are really great. You know, I am a huge fan of The Jets. Slow, 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 slaggy and The Jets. And so, um, you know, like their performances at the 1987 World Series and the 1988 Summer Olympics and the 2002 Winter Olympics are very iconic. They've even been covered by Britney Spears. So the Jets are great and their cover, they're like, I say their cover, but their version of the song is great. Um, but the uh, the version we know and love was performed by Jeff Pasquetto, who did the DuckTales theme. So, you know, Jeff, um, you know, Jeff could seem, seem to see me to sleep, you know, just uh, s- such, a, such a good rock, strong rock voice, you know, and uh, that, that theme song is so essential. So with that, let's go ahead and move into the conversational piece. Unless there's anything you'd like to add about the uh, production? No, no, you have been extremely thorough. Oh, as I try to be. So I want to know, um, how did you originally view Rescue Rangers and kind of just what drew you into it and what initially got you into the show? Well, so for me, I, I got into Rescue Rangers because it was on the Disney afternoon, <laughs> which is appropriate for this show. Uh, it, it isn't something I necessarily sought out in particular. Um, it didn't even necessarily like draw me in by being particularly good it was on the Disney afternoon so I watched it now that having been said um, of the Disney afternoon shows I thought it was one of the better ones um, I really liked that I really liked the characters and and you know it's it's just a fun show uh, it know, is to me like you get something like DuckTales something like Rescue Rangers and something like Gummy Bears and you have a good pretty good afternoon there yeah, and you know, it's really... I'm leaving Tailspin out yeah um, you know what's interesting is that I, I really always thought that it paired well with 
with DuckTales because both were very adventure. You know, Gummy Bears well, yeah. had their own adventures, but then especially Darkwing Duck, Chippendale, and, Res- and DuckTales like, are really have a good core you know, of adventure, mystery. And so, yeah, I, I saw it on the, the Disney Channel first, but uh, you know, definitely watched it in syndication often on the Disney afternoon. Who would you say are your favorite characters, and what, what do you like about them? Um, well, if I had to pick a single favorite character, that would be really tough. <laughs> Um, no, no, but seriously. You know, I really like uh, Gadget a lot, and, you know, that's for the obvious reason that that's the kind of character I'm typically drawn to in these kinds of shows. The the more, like, inventory type characters are, are typically what I'm drawn to, the Donatellos of the world, so to speak. That's really, you know, and that's really interesting to think about Gadget that way, um... Because, you know, these days, like, there's a real big push for, you know, like, oh, girls need to be more involved in, like, sciences and stuff. But Gadget was a really early on, like, you know, she was intelligent. She, uh, you know, despite being the love interest, she never was, like, you know, a sex symbol or, you know, reduced to just that. You know, she definitely proved her part in uh Yeah, she a, was a the freaking part. Donatello of the group. She was. And I, I love Donatello as well. So, uh, you know, that's a great comparison. And I also really like Fat Cat. Like, you know. Uh, well, just, I mean, they're a cat that's fat. That. What's not to love? But you know, I mean, he he kind of yes is that um, very stereotypical mob boss. But you know, in a way that's fun and uh, that really works. And you know, uh, you know, he was kind of he was kind of a little bit uh, dumb in his arrogance and his kind of a uh, got caught up in his own schemes. Kind of in the same way that you know some of the Ducktales villains did. So you know, he was kind of like the one you love to hate. I approve. So um, you know, the, definitely the theme music is iconic. But um, were were there any other like um things about the music that you would like to speak to. Well, so I specifically want to call out a specific episode. This was the 27th production episode. It was um, aired in season two as the 14th episode. This was called The Case of the Cola Cult. And there was actually a sung song in that episode that was paired with like insane visuals of like people just like ravenously drinking soda and producing soda that's like going to like mind control people and stuff. (laughs) I am so glad you brought that one up. For me, like, you know, watching Disney Afternoon. Look, I love Disney Afternoon. I wouldn't be doing the show if I didn't. But I think we can all agree the production values were sometimes not on the highest end of things. So to have this original musical piece that was presented and sung and, you know, a a core part of the plot, it felt more like a Disney feature to me, even, you know, as a child watching this. And uh, so that is an episode that, you know, even now, 20 plus years later, almost 30 years later, holy moly, um, it still stands out in my mind the first afternoon I saw that episode. I am so glad that you mentioned the Cuckoo Cola episode. <laughs> yes! Because the other thing that's great about that is I know it's not, this is not exactly related to the music. This is maybe more why it's one of my favorite episodes is that, um, <laughs> you know, I felt it was like really a great parody of, uh, you know, the way that soda and stuff is marketed. I thought it was really a clever, you know, kind of, uh, <laughs> because um, that episode was the case of the cola cult and like, you know, the the mice were like obsessed with it. It was like they were a literal cult over Cuckoo Cola. And- yeah, it freaking brainwashed them. It was a whole thing. And like you're right, they they're like the the cuckoo cola theme was like a it was like a um, anthem to them. So I'm so glad you brought that up. Um, you know the the opening theme was great, but I also thought like a lot of the incidental music in the background. You know, um, maybe you wouldn't be able to like you know hum it, but if you like listen and you like hear it in the background, you're like oh yeah, it just works so well. And Ducktales did that as well too. But you know, Rescue Rangers just had some like really good little musical motifs that really just really fit with it well. Oh, absolutely. Um, and 
I, I know you probably uh, kind of covered this already, but uh, do you have any other episodes that really stand out to you? Oh, man. I, uh, <laughs> there are so many episodes of this show that I really liked. And I know when I was first talking about it, it, it made it sound like I watched it because it was a part of the Disney afternoon. Um, that's why I, I watched it to begin with. As it went on, particularly in the sort of that short, those shortened uh, last season episodes, um, or at least what was presented as the last season, I actually really liked those episodes. Like there was one with like a Zsa Zsa Gabor knockoff oh, yeah. that was like almost like a low budget Cruella de Vil, but I was already like into, uh, you know, like more, I say adult culture. I don't mean like porno- pornography or anything like, but I was really interested in like Green Acres and like following the news about Zsa Zsa Gabor slapping somebody. Obviously, I know it was Ava Gabor in Green Acres. I'm just a lot of jokes were made on Nick at Night. OK, so anyway, the point was all throughout this series of Rescue Rangers, there are constant references to like um, pop culture, to a lot of culture that I think children wouldn't have gotten because it was like pop culture references for people who were at the time in their 40s. Mm. But for those of you like myself who were kids watching, you know, like the classic The Fly movie, um, people who were watching like old like vaudeville, watching any kind of like silent films, there was just all kinds of really cute little treats. Yeah. And uh, it really to me comes out the most in that last season uh, or what aired is that last season. It was only a handful of episodes, but there was stuff like an extended Shasha Kapoor reference or a whole episode based around the fly. And it was just really, really interesting that, you know, for a, a show ostensibly aimed at pretty small children, all of this stuff would go clear over their head. Yeah, I'm so glad that you mentioned that because Animaniacs is a show that most people will point to with like the adult humor and the themes that go over children's head. But, you know, Disney did it too. And, you know, uh, especially Chip and Dale, you know, really got some things in there. I would have to say my favorite episode is the season one episode, Adventures in Squirrel Sitting. It's um, when the Rescue Rangers have to um, babysit um, some girls who are squirrels. And one of them is like a kind of like a teenager and she has a crush on Chip. But um, first of all, the whole episode is about the Maltese mouse, which is like, you know, a reference to the Maltese falcon, which is uh, amazing. But I mean, the big thing for me is that to this day, um, it also had a musical number, which was the Fat Cat Stomp, which is where Chip and Dale dressed up in drag. Yes! And they were like, oh, oh, hey, big fat daddy, see? Yes! (laughs) And so, um, you know, I mean, just, you know, obviously, uh, as someone who identifies as queer now, you know, looking back and being like, yeah, Chip and Dale were in drag. But I mean, it was just, it was, like, it was, for the comedy was just nailed. They just nailed it with that. So that that and the Cuckoo Cole episode are my two all-time favorites, but uh, awesome. You know, there were just some really great ones. Um, I'd like to ask how this animated series, how do you feel it relates to others in its genres? And, you know, this is kind of a really interesting blend of genres. You know, we have the detective genre, the kind of the comedy genre, but also kind of just like more straightforward adventure as well. And do you feel it defies any genre tropes? Well, so uh, and on this regard, you know, I have less positive to say about Rescue Rangers. So it, it is very much in line with what you would expect from a late 80s, early 90s. 90s Disney afternoon rom. So, you know, it's self-aware to a point. It's referential to a point. But I don't know that I would necessarily say that it did much in the way of, like, breaking new ground or defying genre tropes. It it was all, in my opinion, it it was all pretty by-the-numbers, perfunctory plot and what have you. I just thought it was done, executed at a very high level and and with, you know, a real joy and and sense of humor. And that, to me, is the real strength of Rescue Rangers. Well said. Uh, Are there any similar shows that you would uh, compare it to or recommend to someone who's Darkwing a fan. Duck. Yeah, you know, Darkwing Duck really 
really pairs well with it. I, I think so. I In terms of like that whole like gallivanting action adventure and you know you had brought up DuckTales earlier but I mean let's be clear DuckTales and Darkwing Duck are practically the same show. Well they're the same they're the same universe it's canon. Yeah. I <laughs> know who Launchpad McQuack is. <laughs> right right I'm just saying for uh, you know listeners out there who maybe aren't familiar with that connection but I mean you believe me when we do our Darkwing Duck episode uh, be ready for some real fanboying. So uh, would you is there anything else you'd like to say before we wrap up with the supplemental material? No uh, no, no I, I think we covered it. Alright so there was a monthly comic that ran in um, from Disney Comics from 1990 to 1991 that went 19 issues and then there was also a Boom Studios run of eight issues from December 10th and 11th. There were also some stories in Disney Adventures. You said 10th and 11th. Do you mean 2010 to 2011? I did. Sorry. Okay. Uh, you're totally correct. Uh, there were some stories in Disney Adventures and then the Disney Afternoon Marvel Comics book, uh, which I don't remember that one. Uh, did you read any of the comics? I really, maybe aside from some of the Disney Adventures ones, wouldn't have. I was literally just going to say, I, I read the Disney Adventures ones because I had like every issue of Disney adventures but other than that I, I have not yeah and I can't really note any like notable stories from that I mean for me it's all about the animated series um there's been interestingly um a live action CGI film in development um we haven't really heard anything since the beginning of 2014 though so I think Disney's kind of sidetracked by their movie remakes these days but I mean I would love that I would just be happy for a DuckTales style remake but uh oh yeah totally you know I think that of like you know like the way that the Chipmunks movies and the Garfield ones maybe flops, I think that Disney would do it right with a uh, Chippendale film adaptation. So hopefully that's not in development hell. Hopefully just in the you know kind of back burner. Yeah. So I think one of the uh, real high points of the supplemental materials for Chippendale are the video games. And since this isn't a video game podcast, we're going to keep it real quick. But the two most notable ones would be the Capcom Chippendale Rescue Rangers and Chippendale Rescue Rangers 2 in 1990 and 1993 for NES. Um, Both developed by Capcom. Yeah, and I mean, you know, very much in line with the Capcom greats. Like, I mean, I would say it's not quite as challenging as a Mega Man, but, you know, there's definitely some non-linearity in terms of, like, going through the levels. And, you know, there's a great two-player co-op. Just a lot of fun. You know, highly recommended. A little hard to find now. I mean, it's because, you know, these games typically don't get re-released, aside from DuckTales. I've been hoping for a Chippendale remaster, but nothing yet. I also definitely remember playing the PC game from High Tech Expressions, which was Chippendale Rescue Rangers, The Adventures in Nimnol's Castle, which basically is involves you going into Rescue Monterey Jack. It wasn't that great, but I mean, at the time, you know, not, there weren't a lot of great, great computer games, you know. There was more bad than good, I would argue, but uh, uh, it was it was alright. There were also, like, Tiger Electronic handheld games, and then a fun piece of, um, of <laughs> trivia is that there was a unofficial Mega Drive sequel to the Chippendale games called Squirrel King from Taiwanese developer Game Tech that was later used as an unofficial Mega Drive Super Mario game, so it's a very fun sort of uh, piece of gaming trivia there. And then there was also a mobile game in 2010, but uh, I didn't play it. Are you familiar with any of the other games aside the NES ones? Um, unfortunately, pretty much. I'm only familiar with the NES ones and the PC game. Yeah, uh, I mean, those the NES games are great, though. If you have a way to get them, even honestly, if you're just playing a ROM, definitely recommended. Oh, absolutely. So where to watch? Uh, this is where it gets a little tricky because there has not been any Blu-ray releases announced yet, um, and only Volumes 1 and 2 were released on DVD, so Volume 3, which would have contained episodes 52 to 65, there's no official release for those. Uh, the good news is that you can get those Volume 1 and 2 DVD releases for about 10 bucks each on Amazon, so for right now, that's really 
probably the best official way to get it. Um, but, you know, speak up, let Disney know that you want Chippendale available. It apparently was available on Amazon Prime for a while, but uh, for last I checked, I couldn't find it. So, you Ooh. know, these, these things occasionally turn up. So keep your fingers crossed. Uh, with that, I think it's time to get things wrapped up. We love your subscriptions, ratings, and reviews on iTunes and all those places. We like your Facebook likes, and we love Twitter. We and, love Twitter. And with that, I think I'm going to give it over to Captain Spike for some shout-outs. Well, as ever and always, I'd first like to shout-out to Orange Lunchbox Radio, where every gamer likes a sandwich, and the cake is always a lie. I'd also like to point you in the direction of the GameBuoy.gov video game podcast, your twice-monthly port of call for governmental agencies that maybe aren't on your radar, but most definitely should be, and the Ranger Pridecast, where Shane Olenko and I talk about all of our very favorite Canadian Mounties, as well as their sisters over in Switzerland. Nice. Slaggy, what about you? I'd like to shout out to Transportation Sequence, which is the podcast where a panel of nerds gets to talk about transportation without fear of random bullies uh, taking their um, soda bottle blimp. I love that soda <laughs> bottle blimp. Another one of Gadget's brilliant inventions. I'd also like to shout out to Speeding is Fundamental, the podcast where myself, Spike, Delvin from DiddyCon Racing Realness, and Rob Roberts from Orange Launchbox Radio talk about everything drag racing, buddy. And I'd also like to shout out to the um, Digidestined Advanced Battle um, cast, which is Dabcast for short, and that's where it's your twice-monthly look into the deeper worlds of Digimon with uh, the two of us and Digidestin Sulker. With that, uh, thank you so much for spending this Disney afternoon with us uh, talking about one of our favorites. We hope that you have revisited your love for Chippendale Rescue Rangers, or if this is your first exposure to it, that you're going to go check it out. Until then, uh, thank you again for tuning in. Keep watching. Keep watching. Keep thinking. Keep thinking. And see you, Rescue Rangers. Feel the buzz of Cuckoo Cola. Mics are hot. Hot mics, hot mics. Hot Monterey Jack. Ooh, daddy. <laughs> Welcome to the Disney Afternoon Moon. <laughs> <laughs>